As we read Psalm 42, I know that uh, you can relate to the man who fell off the cliff. Sometimes we go through times in life where truly we can say, I don't know, I haven't hit the bottom yet. So let's read the Word of God, uh, chapter 42 and verse number 1. The psalmist said, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When I, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat night and day, and they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept holy day. If you think about this, David is talking about going to the house of God and it being a place of joy and praise, but he's saying that my tears have been my meat night and day. Obviously, we have a conflict between what's going on in the house of God and what's going on in David's soul. And he says in verse number five, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites and of the hill Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me, my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of help for the hopeless and hope for the helpless. Would you join me as we ask that the Lord would bless this time together. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the word of God and thank you for the transparency of the psalmist, this turmoil and struggle that uh, is going on in his soul, and Lord, we need to hear it from others to help us understand uh, why we feel the way that we feel and how he processed his feelings. We too can learn how to process our own uh, mental and emotional state, and we pray that you'd help our souls here this morning, and we pray that the Word of God and the message that you have put upon our heart would indeed be a help. Lord, we pray for the person that's listening today that doesn't know the only hope of this world, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, would you use the words, the feeble words that are said today, and may the Holy Spirit empower those words and speak to the heart and soul. And Lord, we pray that what is accomplished today would be eternal, life-changing. Lord, those that are struggling with hopelessness, God, we pray that you'd give them the truth 
the hope that they need that comes from you. God, please guide us and direct us. Help us to make wise use of our time to stay on track, to say the things that need to be said and the things that don't need to be said. May we uh, may we be disciplined enough to save those for another time. Bless us now, we pray, and above all, may this service and this message be overshadowed by the presence of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, for it's in his name we pray, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. The subject of today's message is a very touchy one but one that's very necessary. In fact, this is a message that I had planned on preaching tonight. And I planned on preaching out of Revelation 10 here this evening. In fact, being gone for a vacation, I've actually put weeks of study and preparation in the Revelation message. But as I started preparing for tonight's message, the Holy Spirit, I believe, you know, we only can go by what we feel that the Holy Spirit's showing us. The Holy Spirit in my mind, was making it crystal clear that this message was for or is for this morning. We will be talking about hopelessness, about depression, about despair. All of these are common emotions among people today, both Christian and non-Christian. In our Sunday night series that's been kind of hit and miss, the overall series is entitled The Deadly Devices of the Devil. And of course, all these devices start with the letter D. We've looked at disappointment, we've looked at disillusionment and discouragement and all of these things. But here we come to the one, the tool that Satan is using so much in modern culture. And of course, the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is is the substance of things hoped for. And as we've taken the Word of God out of our culture, and sadly, we've taken so much of the Word of God out of the modern church today, and it's become psychological and social and all of those things. We've taken the Word of God, and if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, then we've got, we've got a dearth. We've got a shortage, if you will, of hope and faith and courage among God's people here today. And we certainly see that in today's culture. Before I proceed further, I feel that it would only be ethical to give some credits toward the message that I'm presenting here today. This didn't all come from just me and my personal study from the Bible. But when I think about credits, I want to give credit, first of all, to the Word of God. This Psalm 42 and David expressing in transparency what he was going through, certainly that is helpful for us to understand and certainly helpful for a pastor, a preacher, to be able to help people with the truth of God's Word rather than some faulty psychologist who learn what they learn from people who don't even know God and certainly don't understand the complexity of the human soul and spirit. I'd also like to give credits to June Hunt and her Keys for Counseling and Charles Solomon who wrote numerous books about the ins and out of rejection and the handbook of happiness. And then uh, as a major credit, I'd like to acknowledge Brother Jim Berg who 
uh, was dean of students at Bob Jones University, and he preached a message that as I listened to it in preparation for this, I thought, you know what, I can't say that any better. And so uh, some of what you're going to hear tonight came from his message. But I'm sure that some of you have heard, and if not, I wanted to let you know that a great man of God of the past, you've heard him quoted, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, was perhaps the finest preacher that England ever produced. And yet frequently during his ministry, he was plunged into severe depression, sometimes depression that lasted weeks and months at a time. It was a battle and a struggle for this great, successful, talented man of God, and yet he still had times of hopelessness and despair. Many great leaders battled depression. Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, and as we have seen in our text, King David. As an explanation of our title, Help for the Hopeless and Hope for the Helpless, We must not be ignorant of this device of the devil. Please listen to this point. Thoughts require information, and information must be truth. Most people who try to help others don't understand what they're dealing with, and sadly only make it worse. And so the message today is for both sides of this equation. Those of you that are struggling or will one day struggle with battles of hopelessness and depression, hopefully we'll give you some help, some understanding, some truth so that you can process your thoughts and so that your thoughts can help you with your feelings. And then also for those of you that are not struggling. Maybe you've never struggled with this before, but you have people in your life that do struggle with it. We want to help you with some truth so that you can be a help to them rather than a hindrance. My first point here this morning, I want to deal with the causes, the causes of hopelessness. And I cannot exhaust this particular point. I think that it is far greater than what I could expound upon here this morning. But I do know this, that the cause of hopelessness is a progression of feelings. We are emotional beings. And I talked to the young adult class here this morning. The Bible says, uh, Solomon said in Proverbs, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down and without walls. And we are taught by Hollywood and education system that, hey, if we feel it, if it feels good, then we should do it. Hey, we are taught by modern concept of love that love is a feeling or emotion. And if you marry someone because you were in love with them, if you no longer feel that, then you should get rid of them and get someone that you feel it. And that is not a, not only is it not a biblical concept of love. It is an unhealthy and a damaging view of love. We go through seasons and times in life where sometimes feelings come over us and we go through different times where it changes how we feel. But there's always a progression of feelings. A lot of times these cause, this cause of hopelessness, it starts 
with disappointment. We had an expectation and what we thought or hoped would happen, it didn't happen and we felt disappointed. Solomon, the same guy who said, he that hath no rule over his own spirit, also knew and observed that hope deferred maketh the heart sick. It's a feeling. We've all, even as little children, when we get older, it's something that's of great magnitude. You know, when we're younger, we thought we were going to go to Dairy Queen and get a Sunday, and, you know, the mom and dad got a phone call, and we had to go to the emergency room instead, and they were disappointed because they didn't get ice cream. But when we get older, all oh, the stakes get much higher, and the level of hope deferred, and the sickness of the heart it gets much greater. And that disappointment can lead to discouragement. And that discouragement progresses into depression. And if unchecked, that depression can lead to despair. And that despair, and I don't want to be redundant because I plan on saying this later, but I need to say it, that despair is the mental drawing of conclusions from our disappointment, discouragement, and depression. We start drawing conclusions based upon our feelings. Now, the source of our feelings may be circumstantial or physiological. Now, just as a disclaimer, I'm not dealing with clinical depression here today. I'm, I, I think that we're going to give you some Bible truth that may help you even if you have clinical depression but I'm no expert in the physiological things that have, you know, emotional symptoms and outcomes. But I do know this, that our feelings can be because of circumstances and they also can be physiological. But the progression of our emotions is fed by our thoughts. And too often we are we have this impression that if I think it, then I can't help it. And we just let our thoughts run wild. And our thoughts running wild just feed the progression of our feelings. Listen, we are supposed to have some control over our thoughts. If a bad thought, listen, how many of you, I talked to Sunday school this morning about this. You're driving down the road and some evil thought enters your mind. I've had things that have entered my mind that I'm like, where did that come from? That's sick. That is wicked. And it just popped into my mind. And it might have been an evil spirit whispering it in my ear. It might have been a memory from some filth that I saw or heard when I was younger and maybe a movie and just, you know, have you ever dreamed something that you just wake up and you go, where did that come from? Oftentimes, we, these thoughts enter our mind and you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you don't have to let them build a nest. You don't have to waller in it and chew on it. You've got to acknowledge with your will that, hey, what I'm thinking right now, I shouldn't be thinking. And instead of saying, I'm going to stop thinking this way, the only thing we can do according to the Scripture is to replace that 
with the things that we're supposed to be thinking about, things that are true and lovely and virtue and praise and so forth. That's why God told Joshua, he said, this law of the Lord shall not depart out of thy mouth. Uh, Thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Listen, when evil and negative thoughts and critical thoughts and depressing, hopeless thoughts, when they enter into our mind, we've got to start replacing it with things that are good and righteous and true because this book is a book of hope right here. Circumstantial. There are circumstantial causes of hopelessness. Things like grief. Grief can be any loss. It can mean you lost a loved one. It can mean you lost a relationship. It could mean you lost a job. It could mean you had a financial setback. Uh, there is rejection. There is, once again, disappointment. Hey, midlife crisis, you get to this point in life where you think, hey, I've, uh, all of my goals that I had hoped to achieve, I'm running out of time, and I'm certainly running out of energy. Uh, this, I, I, I don't think I had a midlife crisis, but here, not too many months ago, I, I, I it just dawned on me that most of my life is behind me. I mean, unless I live to be 114, I'm way past my midlife crisis, okay? But it dawned on me that in my younger years that, hey, if I make a decision or if I do this and it doesn't turn out, then, hey, I'm just going to roll up my sleeves and I'll plow through it and I'll make up for it. And then it just dawned on me, you know what? Uh, I can't do that. It used to be, it's like, hey, I made a bad financial decision. That's all right. I'll just work overtime. I'll just work 20 hours a day and I'll get caught up. And now I'm at the point, it's like, I can't do that. And that mortality, it started sinking in. And then in, you know, those feelings started getting a hold of me. It's like, you know what? I, I better, I better just make some smarter decisions. <laughs> Because I can't bail myself out anymore. Now, I, I understand those of you that are real spiritual, you're probably saying, oh, you should have never thought that way to begin with. I, I know. But you did, and we all do to some degree. Empty nest. Any major transition in life. I I moved around a lot. This isn't just for older people. The older we get, I understand the the more that change affects us. I, I get that. But even for young people, you know, moving from one state to the other or from one school to another or all of these major transitions in life, they can... They can cause a lot of anxiety and a lot of insecurity and a lot of disappointment and all of that can progress into feelings of hopelessness. And then you have physical conditions that can cause the feeling of hopelessness. There's thyroid problems. Uh, Certain infections can actually cause depression. There is unstable hormones like menopause. I thought maybe some men, older men, would say amen to that, but I know you're scared. I get it. Your wife's sitting next to you, and you don't have adequate protection for your rib cage. And and ladies, listen, I'm not making light of it. I'm not making fun of it. I know that it's a very, it, it can be for some, that 
imbalance can be just devastating and, and very, very difficult. There are physical, and I don't want to put anybody on the spot or embarrass anyone, but I can remember a time when my missus had um, uh, blood sugar problems, had low blood sugar, not diabetes, but low blood sugar, and went to the, the doctor, and the doctor prescribed one thing or, or, or diagnosed it as one thing, gave her medicine. It's like, this was making it worse. And come to find out, it was just a blood sugar issue, and when she started managing her diet, then it just, it just solved the problem. I got my wife back. Why are y'all not laughing about that? It's very real, folks. Uh, there can be uh, chemical imbalances. There can be reactions to medications. I, I, I know um, a person very well who had a knee surgery, and they prescribed a particular pain medicine after that surgery. And one of the potential side effects of that pain medicine was uh, depression. And uh, after that knee surgery, this gentleman, who was very successful, had a successful company, had everything seemed to be going perfect in his life, and he uh, went into his pickup and took his own life with a handgun. It's just out of the blue, and they attributed it to the side effect of depression from that pain medicine. And by the way, let me say this, medicine is not the only or the best answer for all depression. Now, please note what I said. I didn't say it's never an answer for any depression. I said it's not the best or the only answer for all depression. Thoughts of loss are sorrow. Sorrow is natural and normal. Our Savior was a man who was acquainted with grief and sorrow. Sorrow is a natural, you don't have to beat yourself up for sorrowing or feel like that you're sinning. And as far as that goes, feelings of depression and hopelessness that come your way and periods of that, you don't have to let the devil tell you that you're sinning and you're not having faith in God. It may be something just like the psalmist in Psalm 42, something that God has allowed in your life to help you learn how to process it. Nowhere in this Psalm 42 does David say that, hey, I had to get right with God and repent for how I felt hopeless at times. But sorrowing without hope is depression, and it can lead to all kinds of problems and certainly a loss of joy and happiness in our life. Now, here's something, uh, what what to watch, or watch what you choose when you lose. That's what I'm wanting to convey. When you have grief and you lose something or something changes, uh, watch what you choose when you lose. Some people make some very, very poor choices during these times of hopeless feeling in their life, such as indulging in lust to feel good again, maybe pornography, maybe uh a relationship or an affair. And by the way, the term affair is just the Bible sin of adultery and fornication. Affair sounds so hallmarky, but that's not what it is. It's sin. In fact, the Bible says quite clearly in Hebrews 13, it says marriage is honorable in all and the bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God 
will judge. So it's a very serious offense that God takes very seriously. So watch what you choose when you lose. Some people go on a spending spree thinking the way that I feel, I'll just feel better if I can just go buy some new furniture or buy some new clothes or uh, just indulge in something that I've been wanting to, to spend money on, but I've been waiting. Ignoring responsibilities in order to get a little bit of relief from pressure. Listen, you ignore those responsibilities and all of those things that you're supposed to be taking care of, they all pile up. Guess what? That's depressing. So it doesn't help. It makes things worse. Reckless activities for an adrenaline rush. Yeah, a, a lot of, a lot of the people who get in these X games, it's young people who they have an emptiness, they have this empty feeling inside, and they're just figuring out some way to have some excitement and some adrenaline rush, and really what they're doing is they're trying to... Why would it be exciting if your life is unhappy? I, you've, seen, you've seen video clips. These people who do reckless things, they, may, they had a bunch of failures and some serious injuries... You know, some of them, I look, how many of you seen some of those and go, boy, that was real dumb. I've even been kind of cruel at times where certain things have happened and it's like, well, that was pretty dumb, but at least that, you know, they're not going to produce more people that do dumb things like them. (laughs) Some people turn to drugs or alcohol or if it gets bad enough, that contemplation of suicide, that my life's just not worth living. I I don't want to live like this. I can't take it anymore. And so these are all circumstantial causes. There's physical causes. And then there's something that we'll refer to this morning as masked depression. And this is the state of enduring sadness from unresolved, buried conflict. Repressed memories of physical, sexual, verbal, or emotional abuse. Now listen, let me say this. If there is no absolute answer for everyone in dealing with this type of depression, all right? If somebody tells you that, well, this is how you ought to deal with it because this is the way I deal, there's no absolute answer. All of these types of masked depression, these types of abuse and repressed memories, listen, there are some people that think, well, you just got to get it out in the open, but I've known people that got it out in the open and it made their situation worse. Others, that's what they needed. They needed to get that release. Listen, I, I don't know how to tell you to deal with that. But I do know this, that number one, you need to cast your care upon him for he careth for you. There may be some things that you're going to have to go through life crippled emotionally. You may have to bear this. There may never be a fix that just cures you from all of these repressed memories. It may be a cross that you have to bear and it may be something that will crop up from time to time and you're going to have to learn to exercise the Bible principles again just like you did the previous time and it may be something that you have to manage. Listen, people come into this world physically with birth defects. 
They come into this world physically with diseases and different hindrances physically. And you know what they have to do? They have to learn how to compensate or overcome. You know, if whatever that is, there may be a prosthetic, there may be a medicine, there may be a rehab, there may be something that has to be done on an ongoing basis in order to make that physical problem manageable. You may have been injured or wounded emotionally, and you may have to accept the fact that I've just got to trust God Learn how to manage this and make the best of it because there is hope. You can be happy and you can have joy even if some horrible thing has happened to you. You may need to quit seeking a cure and you may just start accepting the fact that I've got to learn how to manage it and make the best of it. That brings me to point number two and that is hope for the helpless. Hope for the helpless. As fallen creatures, we identify with the opposite of what we should be more than the ideal. What do I mean by that? Well, listen, I, it, it's most often we don't respond to life's problems by teaching you how to be happy, but rather we respond more to teaching us how to not be depressed. Usually it's the negative. Why? Because we are fallen creatures. And typically, we can relate to the negative more than we can the positive. We aren't generally naturally happy. I've seen children that are are just happy from the womb, and but they don't always, you know, life sometimes smacks them in the face one day, and you find that they don't live their whole life with a smile on their face. And then others, you've some of you have had children that, boy, that that baby out of the womb was grumpy. I didn't get a good night's sleep for seven years. <laughs> and then when they hit a teenager, I didn't get a good night's You know how it is. It's just sometimes it's just the way that life is. Teaching happiness means correcting the causes of unhappiness. Now, there's three words that I want to draw your attention to here this morning. Three words. And that is, number one, expectation. Number two, limitation. And number three, conclusion. Now, I wish I could have gotten these so that they started with letters like ABC, kind of like the ABC of parenting. I don't have that. So I guess you're going to have to remember the acronym ELK with a C. And I know what's going to happen if you're from out west like I am. Oh, i got to remember elk, and I'm going to remember it E-L-K, and I'm going to remember, okay, expectation, limitation, and then what's K stand for? So I don't have anything clever, but please trust me on this. If you will grasp these three words, there's a process here that will help you understand this progression toward hopelessness and hopefully some answers and understanding that will bring you out of it. Expectation is simply hope. I'm not talking about wishful thinking. There's a lot of things. I, I I can remember a time when I was a teenager that I hoped I would become a major league baseball pitcher. But that was just wishful thinking because I wasn't even a good pitcher in high school. 
Somebody told me if I work hard enough, I can be anything that I want to be. And then I found out that's not true. It's just not. I mean, that's what they tell you if you work hard enough. But listen, you can't. It's like, yeah, if I work hard enough, I'm going to be an Olympic power lifter. <laughs> no way. No way. I've spent hours in the gym with very minimal results and seen somebody come in and do a tenth of the work and come out looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's like you're just not going to be able to do whatever you want to do. Why? Because the second word, limitation. We find we can't achieve what we wanted to happen. That doesn't always mean achieving, you know, becoming a professional baseball player. It may just be that you wanted to be married and you find that I'm limited. I feel bad for Christian ladies today because there's just, this world's full of a bunch of doofus knuckleheads trying to find a good Christian man that's got a work ethic and is a decent human being. It's not easy. That's a shame. But you know what? I'll say it. I've said this many, many times before. Young ladies, you're better off with no one than to have someone that's the wrong one. Listen, marriage, you think, oh, if I just got married, it'll answer all my problems. I'm sorry. It's going to make your problems way, way worse. After the new and the shiny wears off. And the new and the shiny nowadays wears off after about three days. Used to take years, but now it's like, whoa. They say love is blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. And then the third word is conclusion. Conclusion. Despair. Futility, that happens when we conclude certain things about life in light of our expectations not being realized. I, I got more to say about that, and I, I certainly hope that I, uh, I'm able to accurately convey that. But that despair happens when we finally conclude that it's just not happening. Something that I really, really wanted, I really, really hoped for, I expected it. And not only is it not going to happen today, it's probably never going to happen. That despair. I want to read a story to you about a man named David Warfield. David Warfield appeared on various talk shows in the early 2000s, including Good Morning America. David was a highly successful teacher from California. He coached, he motivated others to success, he raced motorcycles, climbed mountains, was expert in skydiving, went whitewater rafting. I mean, he was what everyone would look at as a true success. With all his awards and achievements, he always felt that life was empty and meaningless. He concluded he felt this way because he wasn't married. He soon married, but after a few years concluded that he had married the wrong woman. He remarried, divorced again, but the third time he married someone that he was sure was his soulmate, but he was still empty and miserable inside. After hours upon hours of therapy and counseling, he concluded with the help of his counselor that the problem was that He was a woman trapped in a man's body. 
he had surgery and changed his name to Dana Rivers. Finally, he was happy, but it was only temporary. And by the way, that's how this man, and he was a man, got known. That's why he was interviewed on Good Morning America, because back in the 2000s, he lost his teaching job at the public school. In a discussion with the editor of a popular magazine just a few months later, David, or as Dana as he was going by, closed the interview by admitting that he was still unhappy and unfulfilled and often considered suicide. Later, even after that gender change, he married twice more and dated other women, but this is not the end of the story. Very soon, Dana, or David, Dana, joined a female motorcycle gang called the Deviants, became the club's enforcer. Of course, he's in a female motorcycle club. He's actually a dude who was very athletic, so I would imagine that would make him a pretty good enforcer. A story that was carried in most of the nation's major newspapers appeared with a byline from Oakland, California. The article revealed that 63-year-old Dana Rivers, a nationally renowned transgender advocate, was charged with the gruesome and bloody murders of a female lesbian couple and their adopted son. The story tells that shortly after midnight on November 11, 2016, Dana Rivers shot and killed and then repeatedly stabbed these three individuals. She then deliberately set a garage on fire, attempted to burn their bodies, and covered up evidence of their murders. Five years later, David or Dana was found guilty on all charges and is now serving a life sentence in the San Quentin prison. Now, Listen, folks, this is an extreme example. I understand this is an extreme, but let me tell you something. There are some of you sitting here that the same problem, the same root problem that was going on in uh, David Warfield's soul is the same problem that you're going through, even though you sit here in an independent Baptist church on Sunday here today. It demonstrates the futility of human nature when we seek fulfillment in anything except for God. Anything. I look back at my life, and while I've never been part of any of those extremes that David Warfield was part of, I can look back at times even in ministry where I was seeking fulfillment and satisfaction in something that was good, but something that was not God. Frequently, people like David think their problem is an identity crisis, and if they will revolutionize their life and accept themselves, be true to themselves, then others will likewise accept them. When depression and despair return, they simply blame everyone that didn't treat them the way that they expected. And you know, folks, this is, this mentality, this cycle and progression of hopelessness is the root of the modern faith deconstruction movement. We've got young people that grow up in church and they've been taught the scripture 
and they ultimately conclude they see a problem, maybe a moral failure by a spiritual leader. Maybe they see inconsistencies in their parents' life and Christianity. Maybe somebody in the church hurts them or they didn't get treated the way that they expected to be treated. And because of that emptiness, they feel, well, I just don't feel like I belong. And what they do when they become 18 or 19 or 20 and they have liberty and the ability, they leave God and they become part of not only the crowd that has denied their faith, but typically those type of people become antagonistic toward the faith that they departed from. We didn't get treated the way that we wanted to be treated. That church just didn't love me. Listen, I will admit that there are Christians and there are churches that fail young people and fail their congregation in demonstrating true Christian love and acceptance. I understand that. And probably, no doubt, there have been times where I've been guilty of that. But I also know that if someone departs from Jesus Christ because of the way that they were treated or because they felt a certain way, it's not Jesus Christ's fault. And what it demonstrates is that they were living for the wrong things to begin with. Just like David Warfield, there are different levels of that. And listen, a young person in this church or a parent in this church You can conclude that, hey, this is not what I expected. This church is not what I expected. This life that I chose, it didn't work. It didn't save my marriage. It didn't make me as happy and joyous as I wanted to be. It didn't solve all my problems. And a lot of times we don't sit down and consciously write all that out, but we feel it, and then we start thinking it, And the whole thing progresses toward hopelessness. I might as well give up and quit. If you'll be patient with me for a few more minutes here this morning, I want to back up just a little bit on these three words. And you know what these three words are? Expectations and limitations and conclusions. And I want to elaborate a little bit more on expectations The Bible says in 1 Kings 19 and verse number 4, speaking of Elijah, the great prophet of God, the man whom James's epistle says that Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. He was just human. He had the same emotional feelings. This is a man who told, he literally said, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. And God listened to him. And I mean, when this man of God, when this prophet said something was going to happen, it happened. But he still had the same emotional makeup and struggles that you and I do. And it says in 1 Kings 19, verse number 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Listen, Elijah wrought a great victory on Mount Carmel and defeated all the prophets of Baal. It was a huge success, and I mean, it exceeded any and all of Elijah's expectations with the prophets of Baal. But for some reason, 
I think Elijah thought that once God shows up here and the people see that the Lord is God and that Baal is a fake, that Ahab and Jezebel are going to recognize it and they're going to repent and get right with the God of Israel. But instead, Jezebel, Jezebel said that you're a dead man, Elijah. And she sent everything she could to try to kill Elijah. And Elijah fled out there. He said, I'm not, just take away my life. I'm not better than my father's. What was Elijah's problem? He's suffering despair because he's expecting something that God never intended. God never told him, if you'll go up on Mount Carmel and you'll make this altar and pour water on it and do all these things, that Jezebel's going to be a convert. He expected something. He hoped for something that God never intended to happen. And by the way, we find him in a cave, hiding in a cave. God never told him in the the narrative to go into that cave. You know what we do? This is what I do when I'm feeling depressed. When I got a little despair going on, I hide in a cave. And you know, usually when I'm going through those times of loss and grief and depression, I don't want to go to church. You know how many times if I wasn't the pastor that I probably would have stayed home because I just don't want to be around people. You don't have to raise your hand, but I know most of the people I'm talking to, you feel like that sometimes. And you know, that's the worst thing you can do. When you're having feelings of hopelessness, you need to be around God's people. You need to be around the Word of God. You need to be around the Holy Spirit of God. Not with an expectation that, hey, here I am, make me feel better, but rather as an expectation that, hey, I just need to draw nigh to the Lord. Hiding in a cave, you know, that may be okay for a short, short period of time, but generally speaking, what we feel like doing to resolve our problems, what we feel like is usually the worst thing that we can do. Mission fields and ministry can be a graveyard and a disaster for marriages, for children, for bitterness. These are all common occurrence in the ministry. Why? Because too often, too often, people are seeking fulfillment in something that is good but something that is not God. Some of you mothers, God gave you a mother's instinct. He gave you that ability to nurture, and you will, if you're not careful, you will pour your life into your children only to have them grow up and trample on that love. You know what you went through to bring them out of your womb into this life. And they grow up and they never appreciate it, what you went through. They never do. I don't even think that children can understand, especially sons, because sons are never going to go through what you went through. They'll never appreciate it. And if you were living for your children, you're going to end up disillusioned and disappointed. And you're going to end up hopeless, thinking, what good did my life do me? So there are expectations and then limitations. You know that God knows that we are limited and finite. In fact, he puts leashes and restrictions on us so that we don't wander off and get lost. These limitations are for our good. 
There are things in life. You know, God protected the way to the tree of life after Adam and Eve sinned. Why? Because God says, I don't want you to live forever in a sinful state. He had plans. He had better plans through Jesus Christ, not through the eating of the fruit of the tree of life. He puts physical, financial, intellectual, academic limitations so that we must go to Him for help. I used to pray, Lord, make me a better preacher. And then I realized that, you know what, maybe God doesn't want me to be a better preacher. Maybe he just wants me to recognize that I'm like Moses of a slow tongue, not eloquent, and that God made my mouth and I need to just say, God, use me and bless the effect of it. I don't have to be any better at preaching. I don't have to impress anybody. God just helped me that I would make a difference. Everyone eventually comes face to face with life's limitations and problem relationships, physical illness or injury or financial setbacks. We need to realize that these, these things in our life, whether it be finances or homes or children or spouses or uh, churches or ministries, businesses, all of these are gifts that God gives us in our life, but when we live for the gifts and not for the giver, they become idols in our lives. And God does not allow or bless us when we have idols in our life. Romans chapter number 1 speaks of people being unthankful and having foolish hearts darkened. And one of the things that God says about them is they worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator. Our expectations are always with limitations. The gifts of life were never intended to replace God. There was a young new husband that had been married for a year, and his friend said, hey, how do you like being married? Boy, he said, I love being married. It's wonderful. He started talking about how that all of his clothes are so pressed and clean. And he talked about, uh, he talked about his wife's cooking and he talked about all the different things. He talked about how much he enjoyed the, uh, the intimacy and all the different things. And what's wrong with this picture? He never talked about his wife. He only talked about what she brought to the relationship, how she did things to improve his life. And you may listen to that story and think, oh, that's terrible, but you may be doing the same thing to God, just focusing on his benefits and never really believing that it's about God and him alone. Conclusions. When we go down that path, expectations didn't happen. Limitations. It's never going to happen. We draw conclusions that hey, Christianity didn't work. God didn't work. No one really cares for me. Life is hopeless and not worth living. Can I say something? Those are all correct conclusions. You probably didn't expect me to say that. Well, they are correct. They're right conclusions. If you are living your life for those things, then yes, 
you are drawing the right conclusions that life is not worth living. Just like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, everything is vexation of spirit. Everything under the sun is just evil and what's the use? It makes no sense. The right conclusion, but not the right solutions. And that's the key. Listen, folks, mediocre Christianity was never intended to work for any of us. I read in 2 Kings 17, it says that the children of Israel, it said they feared God, but they served their idols. There are some of you here this morning that you fear God. You're here in church. You, you don't, you don't want to go out there and live wickedly. You don't want to do all of those horrible things, but you're serving your own hopes and expectations. God's not in the center of your life. You're just like them. You fear God, but you're serving your idols. Genesis 30, verse number one. When Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, <laughs> Give me children lest I die. (laughs) She's passionate. She wants kids. But you know what her problem is? She thinks that life's not worth living if I can't have this expectation met. If I can't have these kids, I'd rather die. Listen, physical problems and circumstances don't cause you to think or draw conclusions that are hopeless or conclusions that are immoral and selfish. Uh, Listen, I'm not saying that the physical depression or problems or circumstances won't cause you to initially feel a certain way. I'm simply saying that until you start thinking and processing and giving credence to those thoughts, you're not going to draw those conclusions. Those problems and those circumstances are only manifesting what's already in your heart because the way you're living, you're living your life that God's not enough. And so obviously, yeah, you're going to end up drawing those conclusions if you keep thinking about it. Feelings feed on thoughts and thoughts feed on beliefs. The Apostle Paul, he believed the right things. He said in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He said in Philippians 3.7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Then in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, he said, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, and so much that we despaired even of life. He knew we're not going to live. We're not going to make it through this shipwreck. They're going to kill us. They've rejected us. They hate us. We despaired of life, but he says we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. Paul had the right attitude. For to me to live is Christ, die and gain. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having hopes and expectations in life, but just don't live for them. Because if you live for them, it's going to be futile. If you look at our text here in Psalm 42, I want you to notice that in this text, how that 
David is having a conversation with himself. I don't know if how many of you talk to yourself. I, I typically talk to myself silently. I've known people that talk to themselves outwardly, verbally. Sometimes you think, did you say something to me? No, no, I was just talking. I was talking myself through this. And that's okay. It's okay to talk to yourself. I talk to myself all the time. David here is talking to himself. In verse 3, he says, his tears have made him question the presence of God. My tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say unto me, where is your God? That's what those feelings, those tears, and that sorrow will make us question, God, where did you go? Verse 4, he remembers some things, and then he goes to the house of God. Notice how David is processing through all of these feelings. In verse 5, he asks himself a question, and he ends up giving himself the right answer. And then in verse 10, he said, As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou cast down? He's asking himself questions. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. David's talking to himself, and he's coming up with the conclusions, the answers that come from the word of God. I think we're out of time here. I, I, I wanted my point number three is hope for the helpless, and I think because of sake of time, I need to save this for another time, maybe next week. But I, I would like to say to all of you, if you're trying to help people that are going through these dark times in their life, probably the main thing that I'd like to say to you is that. Don't, don't draw attention to it. Somebody that's struggling, they already feel wounded and injured and weak. They don't need you to go up and remind them. Have you ever been around someone that, say, was a burn victim? And, I mean, you walk into the room and you can see that they have, they have some scarring and some deformity and I mean, nobody want, you don't go up to that person and go, oh, what happened to you? No, you have sensitivity toward those physical infirmities. The same thing when people go through emotional injuries and times, you just, they just want to be treated normal. They can't, if you don't treat them normal, they want to feel normal. And they're not going to feel normal while you're treating them like they're, like there's something wrong with them. And, and let me tell you this too. The most arrogant and ignorant thing that I've ever heard Christians do is talk to people who are battling depression and just say something like, why don't you just snap out of it? I'm sorry, their snappers broke. They can't. And some of these people that think that you're just not right with God because you feel that way, you know what? Your time's coming. Your time's coming. And so be courteous. And that's all I have time to say here this morning. But I would like to remind you, if you would, listen as I read Romans 15. 
Romans 15 and verse number 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Having your circumstances changed or your physical infirmities fixed or having your expectations met are never going to give you joy and gladness and happiness. These all come from God. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, God wants you to have his joy. It may, there may be weeping that endures for a night. There may be seasons like the psalmist where you go through these things, but don't ever allow yourself or the devil to cause you to think that this is hopeless. Don't ever despair. Don't be like the disciples in the ship when the storm looks like it's going to destroy them and they said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? I've got good news for you. God does care. And if you will make a conscious decision that I'm going to live for him and not for all of the gifts that he's given me in life, my expectation is going to be God and God alone, then you will find help for your hopelessness. There's plenty of help for the hopeless and more than enough hope for the helpless. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads with me. And I have went longer than I wanted to. And I hope that you understand the importance of this topic I certainly have not wanted to keep you just for the sake of keeping you, but I I believe with all of my heart that this is a necessary and a needful topic. And I just want to ask you here this morning, would you put, would you let into your heart the truth that's been presented to you here today? If there's, if you've got lost in all of the rhetoric about depression and despair and hopelessness and the three words that we gave you, that's not what I'm concerned about here this morning. But what I am concerned about is that you understand that there is plenty of hope and it's found in Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage, especially if you're a believer You need to start living for God alone and you need to quit living for all of these idols, whether it be children or spouses or things or careers or achievements, and you need to start living for Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, I got good news for you. He wants to save you and he wants to be your friend that will stick closer than a brother. He wants to be that savior and that that abiding friend that says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. When things go south in your life, when heartache and grief and disappointment happens, you'll never, ever be disappointed in Jesus Christ. I hope that you'll respond to what God has spoken to your heart here this evening.